Emily had always felt a deep connection to the wild. Her heart beat in rhythm with the rustling leaves, and her soul found solace in the melody of birdsong. As a seasoned park ranger responsible for the sprawling and isolated national park, she was entrusted with the task of safeguarding the delicate balance of nature's beauty and preserving its intricate ecosystem. It was a role she cherished, a labor of love that gave purpose to her every step. Her days were a symphony of simplicity. Patrolling the trails, monitoring wildlife, and maintaining the trails were rituals that brought her a sense of fulfillment like no other. Emily reveled in the tranquility of the great outdoors, often feeling more at home in the embrace of nature than in the bustling city beyond the park's borders. However, the serenity she had come to know would soon be shattered by a series of unexplainable events that defied the very fabric of her reality. It all began on a seemingly ordinary night. The moon cast a silvery glow over the dense, forested area Emily was patrolling. The wind whispered through the leaves, carrying with it an eerie sensation that sent a shiver down her spine. At first, she dismissed the whispers as nothing more than the rustling of leaves or the echoes of her own thoughts bouncing off the trees. But as she continued on her path, the whispers persisted, growing clearer and more distinct with each passing moment. Emily stopped in her tracks, her senses on high alert. The whispers seemed to emanate from all directions, as if the very forest itself was conspiring to share its secrets with her. She strained her ears, her heart racing as she struggled to comprehend the source of the unsettling voices. Doubt gnawed at the edges of her consciousness was she truly alone in the wilderness. Days turned into weeks, and the strange and unexplainable occurrences continued to haunt Emily's days and nights. She discovered odd symbols carved into trees, intricate patterns made from stones that defied the laws of nature, and eerie lights that flickered in the distance during the darkest hours. The tranquility she had once associated with the park had been replaced by an unnerving sense of foreboding that seemed to hang heavy in the air. Emily's skepticism, rooted in her scientific upbringing and training, began to waver as the evidence mounted before her. Determined to make sense of the inexplicable, she delved into the park's history. Through old records and the tales of local residents, she uncovered stories of ancient legends that seemed to intersect with the present. Native American lore spoke of spirits that roamed the land, and tales of eerie occurrences dated back generations. Haunted by her experiences, Emily found herself torn between her duty as a park ranger and the growing fear of the unexplainable. She confided in fellow rangers and locals, sharing her encounters and finding a surprising commonality. Others had experienced similar phenomena in the very same remote areas of the park. Together, they formed a support network in alliance born from shared experiences that offered both solace and validation in a world that had become increasingly elusive. But it was during a climactic moment that Emily faced the heart of the mystery head-on. Armed with a camera and a voice recorder, she ventured deeper into the park, determined to capture evidence of the whispers and unsettling occurrences. As she snapped photos and recorded her surroundings, an unexplainable force seemed to pulse through the very air around her. However, her hopes were shattered when she discovered that her camera's drive had malfunctioned, erasing all the photos she had taken. 
Her heart sank, frustration mingling with the fear that had been growing within her. The weight of her quest seemed almost insurmountable, the answers she sought just beyond her grasp. But Emily was not one to back down. Determined to uncover the truth, she ventured even deeper into the heart of the park. Armed with a renewed determination, she faced the unknown with courage. Her steps were steady, her heart resolute as she confronted the possibility that the wilderness itself held secrets beyond human understanding. As she journeyed into the heart of the wilderness, Emily found herself enveloped in an atmosphere that seemed to hum with a hidden energy. The air was thick with anticipation, as if the very essence of the park was holding its breath, waiting for her to uncover its truth. In the midst of the towering trees and the eerie silence, Emily's footsteps carried her further into the heart of the mystery. Her camera and voice recorder were her companions, tools that she hoped would capture the unexplainable phenomena that had haunted her days and nights. Hours turned into days as Emily pressed on, driven by an insatiable curiosity and an unyielding determination. She encountered more of the mysterious symbols, more stones arranged in patterns that seemed to defy all logic, and the ever-present whispers that seemed to dance just beyond the edge of her hearing. But it was in the heart of the wilderness that she experienced the climax of her journey. As she stood beneath the towering canopy, her camera poised to capture whatever awaited her, the air grew still. A palpable tension settled around her, as if the very world was holding its breath. And then, in a moment that defied comprehension, Emily felt a presence, a presence that seemed to permeate the very air itself. It was as if the wilderness had come alive, as if the ancient spirits that had once roamed this land were reaching out to her. She raised her camera, her hands steady despite the rush of adrenaline coursing through her veins. But as she pressed the shutter button, a surge of energy engulfed her, causing the camera to malfunction. She watched in shock as the images on the screen blurred and twisted, the shapes becoming almost ethereal. The whispers grew louder, voices echoing through her mind, as if the spirits themselves were speaking directly to her. In that moment, Emily felt a connection that transcended time and space. The park's secrets, once buried beneath layers of history and myth, seemed to surge to the surface, begging to be heard. She realized that the wilderness itself was a living entity, an ancient force that held within it the stories of generations past. With a mixture of awe and trepidation, Emily lowered her camera. She may not have captured the evidence she sought, but she had experienced something far more profound. The whispers of the wilderness had become her companions, the spirits of the land had embraced her, and the unexplainable occurrences had become a part of her reality. As she emerged from the heart of the park, her heart heavy with the weight of what she had witnessed, Emily knew that her journey was far from over. The unexplainable had become a part of her, woven into the very fabric of her being. And as she looked out at the sprawling landscape that stretched before her, she realized that the mysteries of the wilderness were vast and endless, waiting to be discovered by those who dared to listen. And so, Emily continued her role as a park ranger, but now with a deeper understanding of the world around her. She embraced the whispers of the wilderness, knowing that they held within them the stories of generations, the echoes of ancient spirits, and the unexplainable truths that could only be felt with the heart.
My ex-wife and I saw in plain sight a female cross the road in front of our car. We had to stop very quickly or we would hit her. This happened at around 9.30 p.m. We went back there the next morning and found where 2-3 had been standing watching traffic to cross the road. From 2 through 2004 I heard many different calls from my bedroom from various times. The oddest at 9.30 a.m. This was the loudest call I had heard and it sounded like it was lost or looking for a younger one that was lost. I have never heard a creature with such a lung capacity. The volume was incredible and that was in broad daylight about half mile from my home. It woke me up immediately and I knew right away what it was. I have excellent audio tape recordings that I recorded as I heard them through a magnified microphone. Many times I had walked in the woods by the house and I felt the presence of them around me. I also found many footprints and the largest pile of feces that I had ever seen and my dog was very leery of that. My wife and I had planned a peaceful getaway to a cabin in a rural town nestled in the mountains. It was a much needed break from our busy lives and we were excited to enjoy the serenity of nature. It was around 8 p.m. when we heard an air raid siren, which we assumed was related to a fire. The sound pierced the quiet evening and it rang out for quite some time. We initially joked about it being the beginning of a zombie apocalypse, but as time passed, we couldn't help but feel a little uneasy. We didn't know what the siren was for, and our curiosity got the better of us. Deciding it was best to find out what was going on, I put on my coat and boots before venturing out into the chilly night. I walked down the road to a small grocery store nearby, hoping someone there might know the reason for the siren. As I entered the store, the warm air and bright lights provided a welcome contrast to the cold darkness outside. I approached the counter and asked the store clerk if they knew what the siren was for. To my surprise, they looked at me with a puzzled expression and replied, What siren? I couldn't believe that they hadn't heard it. I stepped back outside, expecting to hear the siren again, but it had stopped. The eerie silence that had returned was unsettling. I made my way back to the cabin, trying to make sense of what had just happened. Upon my return, I shared the strange encounter with my wife. We were both left with a lingering sense of unease, but we tried to brush it off and enjoy the rest of our stay. However, we couldn't help but wonder about that mysterious siren and why nobody else seemed to have heard it. The mystery of that night would stay with us long after we left the mountains. A few years back, I had this really creepy experience with an older co-worker of mine that still kind of shakes me to this day. It happened at this place that I'd been working at for a couple of years at that point. The place was a small factory of sorts, with only less than a handful of employees, including myself. One day though, my boss introduced us to this new, older guy that he'd brought in to start working in the other, newer side of the factory. You see, the factory where he worked had two different sides to it. One side for beeswax and one side for wood production. My boss had brought him in because they went to church together and the wood production on the other side had a religious significance. 
The new, older co-worker worked there with us for about one month before he approached me one day and introduced himself to me. He seemed like a nice guy and even came back to give me a Hershey kiss not long after that. A couple months later, I got asked by our boss if I could go pick up my new older co-worker, probably because his car was broken down or something. I agreed to it, so my boss asked me if it was okay to give the co-worker my phone number so that we could coordinate via text. I said it was fine and went on my way. I brought him back to the factory with no problems. Soon after that though, I started to get random and sporadic texts from him late at night. At first, the texts were just about us maybe hanging out soon, while simultaneously apologizing to me because he knew he was much older than I. But then the texts started to get pretty pervy, and they would be as long as a mini-book. The texts were just long, misspelled random, pervy compilations. I tried to just ignore the texts, but that only made them start coming more frequently. In the midst of all this one day, my roommates were scrounging for a ride to a casino only a few miles from our house. I gave them a few dollars for a ride, and they said that they'd find their own ride back. So imagine my surprise when they returned only a couple hours later with their own ride all right. Their ride was my creepy co-worker. Not only was I creeped the hell out that this pervy jerk now knew where I lived, but I also didn't know how he came to give my roommates that ride. Was it just sheer coincidence or something more? A few days after that, I went to visit a friend at his apartment that was located on our main street running through our small, historic downtown area. When I came downstairs from his apartment, as he was located on the second floor, I made my usual turn, walking on the sidewalk in front of all the main street shops. As I walked past one of the shops that was maybe two doors down from my friend's apartment, I thought I saw something out of the corner of my eye, but it couldn't be could it. To my great dismay it was him, my creepy ass older co-worker standing in the doorway of one of the shops and smiling creepily at me from under a black top hat. A couple of weeks after that little incident, I noticed him again as I left my friend's apartment. He was just standing on the sidewalk with that same creepy grin plastered on his gaunt face. Since I had already informed my friend after the last incident, I simply texted him real quick to let him know the creep was back. I got into my car and left after sending the text, so I didn't find out until later that the creepy co-worker was gone by the time my friend got downstairs to the sidewalk. At that point though, the texts were still coming even faster than before. He was even threatening to come by my house if I didn't respond. Long, provocative texts dictating what he'd like to have happened between us if he did just happen to show up at my house. When I would see him during the day at work though, he would act as though everything were normal, giving no hint of his nighttime persona. After seeing him yet again as I left my friend's apartment, I just so happened to overhear a couple co-workers of mine standing around discussing how weird our new, older co-worker was. Right then, I stepped in and joined the convo, finally showing one of my other co-workers the text messages that the creep had been sending me. I had been working with that particular co-worker for a few years, but I didn't know him too well. He was one of those people who came off kind of grumpy and distant. Still, I told him and my other co-worker not to say anything. They both nodded in agreement, and we went our separate ways to finish up for the day. 
When I came into work the next day, though, my boss immediately called me into his office. My boss told me that he'd been informed of the situation and the texts and he wanted to see my phone to read them. I told my boss that I didn't really want to get anyone in trouble, but he said that was besides the point and that my situation needed to be addressed. My boss also stated that my older co-worker had no right or reason to be texting me and talking to me the way he was talking to me. The boss must have had a pretty good talk with him because all the crap stopped from the older co-worker after that. The other grumpy co-worker of mine apologized to me for saying something to the boss, but I completely understood and I was actually pretty grateful to him for that. I should have been the one to take the initiative to talk to the boss about it, but I was just too chicken. Fortunately though, that situation seemed to work out for all involved, because life went on as usual and everyone involved acted as though nothing had ever happened. Well, I can't really say that because that situation actually caused the grumpy co-worker and I to talk more and we started dating. We were together for about three years and then we got married. It was a quiet night as I drove down the narrow country road taking my friend back to his village after a long day of hanging out. The clock in the car read just after midnight, and the only source of light came from the dim glow of the headlights cutting through the darkness. As we approached a small bridge, I noticed a peculiar sight, a small cloud-like formation slowly drifting across the road. Just a bit of fog, I thought to myself, not an unusual occurrence on these country roads. My friend, lost in thought, was staring out the window, oblivious to the foggy apparition up ahead. As we got closer, I expected our car to pass through the fog, but what happened next left me baffled and frightened. Instead of us driving through the fog, the fog seemed to pass through the car itself. It seemed to defy the laws of nature, as the misty cloud moved right between the two of us and out through the back of the car. Startled, I jumped in my seat gripping the steering wheel tightly. My friend, who hadn't been paying attention to the road, was equally shocked by the phenomenon. He confirmed that he had also witnessed the fog passing through the car, leaving us both bewildered and struggling to make sense of what had just happened. We spent the rest of the drive discussing our eerie encounter, trying to come up with a rational explanation for the strange fog. But to this day, the experience remains unexplained, a chilling memory that lingers in our minds whenever we find ourselves driving down those lonely country roads late at night. As a kid, I dreamt of being an officer like my father and his dad before him. It kind of ran in the family, so every time I was sitting in the passenger seat of my partner's cop car, it was even more special. It was my very first night and my partner kept joking on me, ripping on me, and calling me a rookie. But I didn't mind, I was very familiar with the hazing process. It was a boring night. My partner made attempts to break the silence by asking me all sorts of various questions. Other than that, it was silent, not much was happening. We looked around for somebody to apprehend, but to no avail so far. Not much of a first day, we kept on driving with nothing happening until I saw a figure standing on the corner. I told my partner, is that something there? 
I pointed to the figure that I can now see was a taller man, standing with his head to the ground. She looked around for a bit before shaking her head and concluding it was probably just a homeless man. We drove off. I looked out the window as we passed. He turned his head and watched as we drove off. I thought it was weird, but not weird enough to get involved. We kept on driving when we got a call on the radio. 51150 on South and Boulevard. My partner picked up the radio and told them we'd be on the way. I faintly remembered the 5A150 from training. It had something to do with the crazies. We took a turn to get there faster, and in less time than I'd imagined, we pulled into the house and property they described over the radio. Loaded our weapons, exiting the car, I looked around again. A very quick scan of the neighborhood. That's when on the corner opposite of the one we had come in, I saw him again. The man from earlier, looking down at the floor. I tapped my partner and motioned towards him. She looked at him, and I can tell she was just as confused as I was. She whispered to me, You get in the house, I'll go talk to him. I nodded, heading into the house. It was huge, and to my knowledge, abandoned. Hello, it's the police. Is anybody there? Just then, from a heap on the floor, I heard somebody speak. You need to leave now. Go! It was coming from a man holding a wound on his side and bleeding badly. Sir, who did this to you? I asked, flashing the flashlight in his direction. Get out. Get your partner and get out of here before he gets mad. He said, fear audibly in his voice. Who gets here? I responded, hearing a little bit of fear in my own voice. He opened his mouth, but before he could speak, there was a gunshot that got both of our attention. I ran outside to see my partner now face down. The man she was talking to was nowhere to be found. I rushed out to her side, kneeling down beside her, flipping her over before checking her pulse. I felt nothing. To show her respect, I closed her eyes before setting her back down. Unholstering my weapon, I walked back into the house aiming it. But to my surprise, the now bleeding man was not there. The house was empty, and his spot was a streak of blood heading out the back door, which I saw now had been busted open. I ran through, looking around. There, at the corner of the fence, stood the tall man looking down. All right, you freak, hands up. He didn't move. It's like my badge and gun meant nothing to him. He did not fear me. What are you hard of hearing, I said. Put your hands up, trying to make my voice sound more macho now. And that's how we're playing it, I said fed up. One, and two. Before I could get to three, he turned to me, looking at me. What I saw made me drop my weapon. His stare felt cold, but he could not be staring at me. There were two empty spots on his face where his eyes would usually go. I stumbled backwards into the house, nearly losing my balance but catching myself in the sink, vomiting a bit. I was still shaken up by everything that's happened. It all happened so quickly. I stood over the sink, waiting for the urge to vomit to make a reappearance, and I'd heard footsteps approaching. It was the man I saw before. He came in, wiping the blood from his shirt. He was not injured at all. I'm sorry, it was truly nothing personal, he claimed with a smug smirk on his face. 
You see, my boy has this craving for human flesh, and a boy's gotta eat. He continued to walk towards me. What is wrong with his eyes? I said frantically, considering I was more than likely going to die. He was born without them. Doctors can't explain it, but my boy didn't let it get him down. He doesn't need eyes. He goes by his hearing and his smell. He looked out the door, and here he comes now. I knew what was coming. Just thinking about that freakishly tall, eyeless man and my partner made me sick. I vomited all over the man and myself. He took a step back and called me a disgusting fool, explained to me there would be no mercy, and I ran as fast as I could, grabbing my radio and calling for backup immediately. I actually had to drive down the street to try and hide from this person until my backup arrived. He and his son were detained, and as it turns out, he had actually cut out his son's eyes as a part of some sort of sick, satanic, sadistic cult and fed him H-flesh his entire life, treating him like a wild animal. As far as I know, him and his son are still serving time in prison. Nineteen forty-two. My sister, Clara, and I were thrilled to be spending time with our family at Medibem's Lake. Our parents and uncles had taken us on a week-long fishing trip, and we couldn't have been happier. The lake was a beautiful, serene escape from the world, and we eagerly embraced the opportunity to fish for Smallmouth Base from the rocky island near our campsite. Each evening, as the sun began to set, Clara and I would head out to the island with our fishing gear, eagerly anticipating the catch we would bring back to our family. The island was a magical place, with its rugged rocks and the sound of water lapping against the shore. It was there that we felt closest to nature and the wonders it held. One night, as we sat on the rocks with our lines cast out into the water, we heard a strange howling noise echoing across the lake. It was unlike anything we had ever heard before a melodious singing from someone with a husky voice, haunting and beautiful. Clara and I exchanged puzzled glances, unsure of what could be making such a sound. The singing continued for several minutes before it abruptly stopped, leaving us even more curious and a little unnerved. We decided to pack up our gear and head back to camp, eager to share our strange experience with our family. The following evening, Clara and I returned to the island, unable to resist the lure of the lake and the chance to catch more fish. As we sat on the rocks, the sun setting behind us, we once again heard the eerie singing. This time, however, we were not alone. From the shadows of the island's trees, two enormous, hair-covered giants emerged, their eyes fixed on us with an unsettling intensity. They stood at least eight feet tall, their bodies covered in thick, matted hair, and their faces a mix of human and animal features. Frozen with fear, we watched as the giants approached us, their hands outstretched towards our bucket of fish. Without a word, they took the fish, their eyes never leaving ours, and then disappeared back into the shadows from which they had come. Clara and I sat in stunned silence, our hearts pounding in our chests. What had we just witnessed? Were these creatures some sort of undiscovered species, or perhaps beings from another world? We couldn't begin to fathom the answers to our questions. We returned to our campsite, our stories spilling out in a jumble of excited and frightened words. 
Our family listened with a mix of skepticism and concern, unsure of what to make of our tale. In the years that followed, the memory of that night remained etched in our minds, a reminder of the mysteries that still lurked in the world. Our encounter with the hair-covered giants would remain one of the most extraordinary experiences of our lives, a moment when the veil between the known and the unknown was briefly lifted, revealing the incredible possibilities that lay beyond. This took place last year, at the beginning of summer. I was with my mom, headed down to my nana's farm to visit for a weekend. For some context, she lives on a farm way back in the country right at the foot of a mountain in rural South Carolina. It's a very rural, secluded area, so the roads are badly maintained and barely wide enough for two cars to pass one another. The houses are also spread out and set far back into the tree line from the road, so there's very little ambient light besides the headlights of a car. So my mom and I are driving along, her in the driver's seat and me in passenger. It was around 11 p.m. and we're 15 minutes out from Nana's, deep in the woods with the radio down almost to silent. We come onto this straight stretch of the road in a heavily wooded area, and suddenly this blur of a creature darts out across the road, right at the edge of our headlights. It was moving pretty good, but both me and my mom were able to get a good look at it and both agree on what we saw. It was a fairly large creature, roughly the size of a person bigger. Neither of us could make out the head, but we both remember it appearing to have a segmented body, my mom's words, as if it were emaciated and its rib cage was poking out. The reflection of light made it hard for me to tell color, but my mom said she remembered it to be dark and she didn't see forehair. It had long limbs and as it moved across the road, it didn't run the way a dog or horse would with all four legs. The best word to describe it would be loping, using its front limbs to pull itself along, and it was moving considerably fast. We both said something along the lines of, what the hell is that, as it crossed in front of us. As we got up to where it had crossed, I turned to look at it just as it reached the other side of the road and out of our headlights. And I swear on my life, it stood up and ran. Not like a dog rearing on its hind legs, it was definitely bipedal. I immediately yelled that it had stood up, and we both started getting nervous. I honestly would have thought I was going insane had I not had another person in the car with me. My mom has always been a pretty level-headed person and not superstitious, but she was very nervous and made me agree to not tell my nana about it to avoid scaring her which made me recognize how serious this was. I should also mention that there had apparently been a series of attacks on livestock horses in the area around the time this happened. People were saying they found wire fences ripped through and their animals attacked, I don't think any died, but if I remember correctly there were a few horses that were severely wounded. There have been a few other strange instances in the area, but that was my personal experience. In the summer of 1999, my cousin and I decided to embark on an exciting adventure near Timothy Lake, Oregon. Both of us had always been fascinated by nature, and we were eager to explore the backside of the lake and look for any signs of wildlife. Armed with nothing but a .22 rifle for protection, 
we ventured off the main trail and began our exploration. Our main focus was to find bear signs which had been reported in the area. As we delved deeper into the forest, we stumbled upon a log that appeared to have been torn apart. This was exactly the kind of evidence we were hoping to find. As we examined the area further, however, we discovered something even more intriguing, a series of human-like tracks stretching for about 50 feet. What caught our attention was the enormous stride between each step nearly eight feet apart. We couldn't believe what we were seeing and started to wonder if these tracks could be the work of a Sasquatch, a creature we had heard stories about but never truly believed existed. Unsure of what to make of our discovery, we decided to head back to camp and share our findings with our uncle. As an experienced outdoorsman, we believed he might be able to shed some light on the mysterious tracks. To our surprise, he was just as intrigued as we were and agreed to come and take a look for himself. Upon examining the tracks, our uncle couldn't hide his astonishment. He too began to entertain the idea that a Sasquatch might be responsible for the footprints. The thought that we could have stumbled upon evidence of such a legendary creature left us all feeling a mix of excitement and fear. Over the years, our encounter near Timothy Lake has remained a topic of conversation within our family. The mysterious tracks continue to pique our curiosity, and we can't help but wonder if we had indeed crossed paths with a Sasquatch that day. While we may never know for sure, the experience taught us that the natural world still holds many secrets, waiting to be discovered by those daring enough to explore its depths. To give you an idea of why I was out in the middle of the woods at midnight. I run cross-country collegiately. This means that I'm supposed to run every single day ten miles a day, and I can be particularly lazy about this. When you've been doing it for seven years, it gets old quick. So more often than not my roommate and myself will put off our run until late because we struggle to find the strength during the rest of the day. Well, it turns out that we picked the wrong night to be lazy. As 11 p.m. starts to roll around, I told my roommate Matt that we need to get our miles out of the way. He agreed and we both lace up, grabbed our flashlights, and left our dorm. We live on a decent-sized campus with a lot of woods on the back of it and a full-sized golf course, so we decided to run on the trails out there. At night it is pitch black and can be hard to see the path even with flashlights, but it breaks the monotony of running the same routes, and we happen to like the adrenaline of being creeped out. So we began our run and started heading towards the woods. Instead of taking the normal trail that leads right through the middle of the golf course, we elected to take a different entrance, and eventually we realized we were lost. It was still possible to see the clock tower on campus from where we were at so we knew we just had to head in that direction to get home. I wasn't too sure of how to get there from the course path, so we just stopped our run and walked directly through the woods and trees until we ended up on another green of the course that I have never been to before. While we were trying to get our bearings I noticed a flickering light in the distance. I asked Matt if he saw it also, and he just nodded as we both stared. Slowly but surely, this light got closer and closer. It wasn't long until we realized it was another flashlight from someone on the trail. As I watched the light bob up and down, I began to comprehend what this meant, 
We weren't alone out here. That didn't make any sense though. It's almost midnight. Why would someone be five miles into the middle of the golf course at this time? Why are they alone? What could they possibly be doing? We were sure it wasn't maintenance because the maintenance building shuts down at 5 p.m. and they wear bright green to give notice to golfers' safety reasons. Soon enough, the silhouette of a tall man came into view and the distance between us and him was only brought down to 50 feet or so. He stopped dead in his tracks and we just continued to stare. This really only lasted a minute, but it felt like forever. The man did not seem phased by us and started walking towards us, but then made a quick turn to the right which was where the green ended and the woods began uphill at that. Right before he entered the woods, he turned back to face us. As he did this, he shined his flashlight up at our faces, the kind of way you do to blind someone, and all we heard was the massive footsteps of this guy sprinting and the heaving of his breath. With that very moment, we took off. Let me tell you, I have never ran that fast in my entire life. Even being a collegiate runner, we ran and ran and never looked back until we made it to the street that our campus begins on. I don't know what that man wanted or why he was in the woods so late, but he clearly intended harm to us. This isn't our first weird occurrence in the woods at school, so I may post more soon. One day my best friend and I were taking a shortcut to her house. It goes past a few houses and through a small area of woods, crossing a two feet wide creek. This particular day, I was wearing one of those jackets that had earbuds as the strings a must-have item as a fifth grader in 201,011. As we were passing one of the houses, a couple big dogs come running from it, jumping on us and obviously just wanting to play petted. The owner of the house comes out, and I noticed right away that he was acting really fidgety and nervous, saying stuff about the dogs like, Oh, it's okay, they're nice, don't worry. We made small talk with him about the dogs for a few minutes and turned around to leave. About or minute or so later we arrived at the small creek when I noticed that one of the rubber earbuds that was on my jacket was gone, and I insisted on going back to look for it. The guy came back out again and offered to help us. He asked what the material was made of, and I said it was made of rubber. We made small talk again, I think about the jacket and how cool it was. Anyway, he said he was going to be right back with his metal detector. He walked away towards his shed, and I said to my friend, Why does he need a metal detector? The earbud is made of rubber. Next thing you know, he's coming back with, I shit you not, a rifle, and he is literally running towards us. When I'm telling you we ran, we ran. When we got to safety, past the creek and near her house, I was telling her we needed to call 911, she insisted that we not do that because her parents would be mad at her. I explained to her with urgency why it's important we called the cops, but she refused and I couldn't force her. I didn't call because I didn't want to do it alone, plus it would have been my first time calling them. I can't remember when if I told my parents that night what happened, but when I told them, they gaslit me and said I was crazy overreacting, that I didn't really see that. I still think about this damn near every day and it haunts me. The second time was again in fifth grade, taking place after the first story, 
but I'm not sure how long after. The friend from the previous story lived near a cemetery, about a five-minute walk from her house. It was a big cemetery, and we liked to walk around it a lot. Plus, behind the cemetery was a shortcut through the woods to a big park, which was coincidentally right next to our school. This day we were also with another good friend of ours. We were just walking around the cemetery this day when all of a sudden, a blue truck pulls up next to us in the row, next to where we were walking about ten feet away or so, not far. I could see two guys were in it literally just staring at us, and I again got that weird feeling I got with the first guy. This is hard to explain, but right before the shortcut in the woods is a fence with a cutout that leads to a field of grass and a hill next to it that leads into the neighborhood of where my other friend lived. The hill was really a bunch of dead grass, weeds, sticks, cattails, etc. Anyway, I told my friends I had a bad feeling about these guys, that they were staring at us and quite literally slowly following us with the truck. We booked it to that grass field and through that hill. I had all sorts of cuts and gashes from all the shit that we were running through. When we got to the top of the hill, we turned around and the truck was parked at the top of the hill on the other side, with both men outside of it holding guns rifles. I truly believe they were coming after us, and they were visibly mad that we got away from them. I knew they were after us because they have had to have driven through the cutout in the fence, amongst the gut feelings and just the entire situation. We ran to my friend's house, noticed her parents who truly didn't seem too worried, and drove my other friend and me home. I don't even remember if I told my parents about this time since they gaslit me when I told them about the last time. I just can't shake the fact that this shit really happened when I was in fifth grade. Ten, eleven years old. I also can't believe how lightly my parents took the situation. I'm honestly traumatized about what happened, and I think about it a lot. I just needed to tell some people what happened, but I have trouble getting my thoughts into words.